Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode eight for season 10. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 19th of May for release on the 3rd of June, 2020. This episode is sponsored by CloudBees Feature Flags. CloudBees Feature Flags is where developers come to ship changes at will. When you have a solution to manage feature flags at scale, you're empowered to continuously and intelligently roll out changes as soon as they are code complete on any platform even mobile. Decouple development from code releases for real-time change control. Roll back only the changes that you want. Toggle features, use multivariate flags for A-B testing, and nix misbehaving features with a kill switch. Sign up for CloudBees feature flags today and get 20% off. Visit https rollout.io slash ray dash wenderlich dash offer and fill out the form on the right. We will email you a discount code that you can use to access CloudBees feature flags for completely free. Feel free to start a trial and use your discount code when checking out after your trial expires in 14 days. And we thank CloudBees feature flags for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. I'm Drew Freeman here with my COVID compliant co-host, Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Drew. Our guest for this episode is Brian Kavitz. Brian's career had him working on video games, e-commerce, productivity, finance, and travel apps. After spending years working as an iOS and Android developer, he sees Flutter as the next big pillar for mobile. On this episode, at long last, Brian will help us dive into Flutter. Then Alex will talk about the importance of communication as engineers. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you. It's good to have you here. We, uh, I, I know Alex has been... Uh, Chomping at the bit all season for our Flutter episode. I sure have been. <laughs> so we ask this question now more routinely than we ever have, and that's like, how are you sheltering? <laughs> uh, it actually is a status quo, more or less. About a, <laughs> a month before the world shut down, uh, I decided to go full-time freelance, working uh, from home to be able to spend more time with my newborn baby. and. Uh, explore a world of uh, freelancing and then the world shut down and all that time i thought i would do to stay at home i guess could have been mute i could have kept my full-time job and so how old is the baby he just turned four months oh congratulations are you getting any sleep yet <laughs> actually he's wonderful he's he's been sleeping through the night for the last month so I feel very honored about that. I know many parents of four months old who are probably going to be very jealous. <laughs> mine, mine, was, mine was not quite that good until about six to eight months. Mm. Yeah, and I've now mine stories. is 13 years old and sometimes sleeps through the night. We're not sure. <laughs> Don't blink. That happens really, really fast. Mm. So... When you're not sheltering down and you're trying and you're actually getting outside, what are the things you do that do not involve code? <laughs> uh, lately, very little. Uh, <laughs> code is one of the things keeping me sane. But um, I like to go walking with my dog, um, lots of hiking, uh, 
was used to do uh, swimming, but that's not really an option anymore. <laughs> that's all shut down. I meant before uh, before all of the shutting before all the shutting down. You did swimming as well. Yeah. Uh, you you mentioned the dog. What what breed? He's a Portuguese water dog. What exactly is a Portuguese water dog? It's <laughs> oh, they're wonderful. They're actually the the same dog that um, uh, President Obama had oh, okay. uh, or has. <laughs> Probably uh, still has. Yes, I should hope so. They're adorable. Uh, they're very, very smart uh, dogs. He outsmarts me all the time. I'm trying to teach him how to code. <laughs> I should probably perfect. <laughs> uh, Took my job. Yeah, he looks like he has like a little tuxedo on, so he's mostly black with like a white stripe down the stomach. Uh, he's very cute. Fancy. And um, back in the day, he uh, were called Portuguese water dogs because they used to be kept on the. Um, frigates with the sailors mm. he would help be able to swim they would could swim from ship to ship so they would carry messages between ships and they would oh, even that is so cool oh, yeah, that's really nice. fishing they could actually catch fish and they were actually paid in equal with the fishermen so uh <laughs> really <laughs> amazing dogs and mine is terrified of water so <laughs> <laughs> wait did you say the dogs were paid in, in yeah, they were paid, so if they would catch a fish they could keep it so they oh, all right. I was imagining like a dog being given like Spanish doubloons or something and being like, you should changing me. I don't know why it's like a gangster dog. Yeah, they they, they uh, collect interest. Most of the modern ones have Bitcoin. Yes. Uh, don't tempt them. They'd probably figure it out. My, my dog has already tried to trade his bones for um, an apple that he's seen eating. So he's a little capitalist. He knows exactly what he's doing. By an apple, do you mean an apple for a fruit or an apple for a laptop? <laughs> see he's already trying to move in on the on the financial market there the idea yes. he got his attention all right so we we have delayed long enough we're we're going to be talking about flutter how how do you best explain what flutter is before we get into some of the nitty-gritty mm. so Flutter is a multi-platform uh, native uh, mobile development kit. And I choose uh, the word native very carefully, meaning that unlike um, other multi-platform uh, solutions that tend to use more um, uh, web technologies like Cordova or React Native, Flutter actually compiles down to the exact same um, ARM64 code that Swift um, compiles down to. So it's actually truly native when you actually are running it. It's not quote-unquote hybrid which we've seen and it's a wonderful framework you get um uh it's built on top of uh, skia which is uh, the same um graphics engine that powers chrome it actually started off as a fork of chrome which is actually kind of interesting and uh it can create incredibly fast uh, mobile apps with like i've never been able to code faster especially because there's this wonderful feature called hot reload where every time you make a code change, it is instantly injected into the live app. So it's not like an extra preview mode. It's just, it's the real app on running on your real device. Every code change instantly ready for, well, almost instantly uh, ready for use. So since it's native, does that mean that things like the UX are going to feel like either an Android app or an iOS app when I run this? Uh, it is mostly indiscernible. So Flutter doesn't actually use the uh, what they call the OEM widgets. So it doesn't use UI kits and it doesn't use the uh, the Android uh, widgets. It instead uses, um, I guess, facsimiles that they've recreated very, very carefully 
um, in that are rendered in on the GPU as opposed to well, actually, I guess most things are rendered on the GPU these days. Uh, for most people, it would be basically indiscernible. Um, I've tested uh, this app against many users, and they don't even know that this is not uh, using UIKit. It is for them; it's just an app, so everything is is great. The scroll is basically identical to the exact way that UIKit scrolls and the way that um, uh, Android scrolls. It's the Flutter team has really outdone themselves to try and make this experience feel as natural to any user that will pick up an app. They, for them, it's just an app. They don't care how it was code, coded. I think that's a, um, an interesting point I want to linger on for a second. So when I first heard of Flutter, the fact that it wasn't using like the native widgets under the hood was both a thing that made me gasp in <laughs> astonishment and then immediately kind of doubt everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you, uh, I guess I have two questions here. Um, one is, is this crazy? Is this a crazy <laughs> thing that's happening to try and like recreate all of UI kit and all of the Android toolkit? And then two, um, what do you, how do you feel about like the pros and cons? Like, have you, have you run into any issues uh, with like differences between sort of the, the facsimiles that you mentioned Flutter builds up versus the actual real thing. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I was highly skeptical about first. Even when I first saw Flutter, there was this really cool talk at Google I.O. that announced it. And at first it was like, oh, here comes another one. Here's <laughs> another multi-platform thing that's going to, some manager is going to try and shove down my throat that I'm not going to be interested <laughs> in. Uh, but uh, it, it, so I was very skeptical at first. But then when you actually start using it, you realize just how great it is. Like I have been doing iOS development for almost, what does it feel like 10 years now. And when you load up the so-called Cupertino widgets, because um, Apple never really gave their um, widgets a uh, design name, like material design. So Google decided to say, okay, you're Cupertino now. Uh, <laughs> and so all, all the iOS widgets are just called Cupertino app bar, Cupertino scaffold, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't, really see the difference for the most part but then i throughout using i ended up just honestly just not using them for the most part like just sticking with the material apps and not even really trying to say this is a pixel perfect uh apple default app because when you actually start realizing it after a while you choose you start off with the base look but then you add the look that is appropriate to your brand and you tend to move Mm. away a bit from Apple stock apps because you're not making an app for Apple. You're making an app for your, your brand and ultimately sticking to either the Google stock or the Apple stock is makes it more like you're working for these companies and you're not <laughs> You're working for your, you're creating your own identity. And so flutter kind of enabled enables you to kind of get out of this kind of almost like tunnel vision where it must look like a perfect Apple app and mm-hmm. go like, no, uh, blaze your own trail make it look to your identity. And a lot of the like really great showcase apps that you'll even see on Flutter's websites are not, they don't look like material apps. They don't look like um, Apple apps. They look like their own thing and they're all wonderful. Especially when you, when, once you break through that and say like, let me just create something where I can control every pixel. I can make everything look exactly how I want. You're, it's, it's very like, it's like a breath of fresh air again. So I thought that was, something actually quite in the, um, 
quite uh, enabling about Flutter. I think that's a an interesting tidbit because there's kind of been, um, at least in my mind, sort of a whole evolution of this within the mobile landscape where mm -hmm. back in the days where people were really trying hard to kind of stuff like a, a web app and call it a mobile app, that was a really mm -hmm. common um, sort of defense line from a lot of native mobile developers was, hey, oh, this doesn't yeah. have the look and feel of a native app. It doesn't feel like an app. It's not using all the things that I've, I've grown to come and love. Um, but nowadays, interestingly enough, when I, when I use an app that just feels like a stock material design app or a stock, um, you know, HIG app, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, this is a very basic, mm -hmm. probably sort of beginner level application because most of the more advanced things that you deal with, like you said, are kind of, uh, building their own brands, using their own flavors of things. And so you end up not seeing the default, you know, UI table view cell or, or, you know, default spinning loading indicator. They have all these custom little tidbits. So it's interesting kind of that evolution of like, now everything needs to look just like the native platform to, well, come on, let's do something interesting here. Mm -hmm. There are some things that you tend to kind of like flip. You want to have be platform aware, like the way that things transition between screens. So if you use a material page route in uh, in Flutter, it will it, that's a platform aware control. So the animation will look like either pushing a new activity onto the screen or pushing a new view controller on the screen. It just can simulate the animation, and you would be none the wiser. Uh, so those I tend to kind of just leave as is because they're just so standard. And also the swipe back or the positioning of the navigation bar. But those are just kind of like the scaffold of your app, the base core that most people have been they're so used to. Then they want to. So if you see like that. Um, android style scroll where you have the glow at the edges on an mm. ios device that's that's weird um, yep. and also the elastic bouncy scroll on android is probably weird but other than that it's it's an open canvas for you to paint whatever whatever you want and probably the more you kind of break into your own style uh the happier you'll be and the happier your clients hopefully will be if you're building for someone someone else what is the learning curve like for uh, flutter uh, surprisingly fast. Uh, I was able to uh, go from knowing absolutely nothing about Flutter, absolutely nothing about Dart, to writing a fully functional production-ready app in under two weeks. Under two weeks. Now, I've also been writing iOS apps for 10 years, so that probably helps. But uh, Flutter is really beginner-friendly. Uh, the actual like Dart engine is a lot I would say a lot easier to work with than Swift or, or Kotlin. There's a lot of stuff you don't need to think about for uh, like, for instance, Dart is single threaded. So all of these like Grand Central Dispatch, how do I manage all of these um, deadlocks and race conditions that you can come up to? They just don't exist because there's only one thread. It's operating more like JavaScript where you have a um, event loop going around and you just send events to this event loop and it will get to it when it gets to it but they're all kind of going in sequence so dart has kind of found a nice little like um i guess it's kind of taken the best parts of javascript the best parts of java and kind of mixed it up into a nice little uh, happy medium in between so how far is dart from say kotlin or swift uh it's catching up very much uh it's there are some things that are a little bit nicer in Swift than, um, than in Dart. So like, one of my pet peeves of Dart is enums. So enums in Dart are basically just masks around ints. There's not really much you can do with them where in Swift, and I can't really speak for Kotlin too much, but for uh, 
So if you can go crazy with enums there, they're wonderful. So that's, but there, you can do uh, almost everything. So there's that op optional chaining is in Dart. Um, we just got static extensions a couple, um, about a month ago. Um, coming soon is uh, my uh, most excited feature that I'm worried uh, is called a NN, uh, NNB, non-nullable by default. So it's basically the same as um, optionals. So right mm -hmm. now in, um, as of today, uh, any object in Dart can or cannot be null. And there's no real way for you to know from the type system. So you do have to do that classical Java style check for null. But in a few months, that's going to go away. And we'll be in uh, the exact same Swift Kotlin style where you'll have, instead of having int, you could have int question mark, which seems <laughs> to be kind of the standard. So Dart is really um, catching up to all of these languages very, very fast. Uh, so the, it was a little bit behind two years ago, but it's, it's today it's, I don't miss any of the uh, Swift features at all anymore. I think that that's, um, Dart is an interesting, an interesting topic to touch on. Cause I think it's gener it's generated a lot of sort of controversy around <laughs> flutter. Um, sure. so could you maybe take a step back and just like, what is Dart? <laughs> for, for the, you know, for anyone who hasn't used Flutter, there's like a point zero 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 one percent chance they've used or maybe even heard of Dart. So, yes. what what is this language? Where did it come? What from? is this language? Uh, so, Dart is what I like to affectionately call the most boring language ever created, uh, and I say that in the in the most positive, endearing way. Uh, by boring, I mean you will take a look at Dart and you should be able to instantly understand it. You shouldn't. There should be no surprises whatsoever. It's a very conservative language. It has basically let other languages take the lead on any feature, and it then will implement it in a more kind of stable way after the fact. So you see that with like um, async await, which wasn't implemented first in Dart. It came from C Sharp first, and then Dart's like, this is a really good idea. Let's go do this. Uh, and then they kind of iron out all the kinks that the other languages experimented with, and they give you a really kind of strong version of it. Uh, Dart also originally um, has had an interesting history. It's actually an older language than Swift. Um, it predates Swift by a couple of years. It was supposed to be a web language. Uh, so it was like trying to compete with JavaScript and say, you know, this JavaScript stuff is kind of crazy. Let's see if we can bring a, a real application ready language to the web. And well, that didn't work. Uh, uh, so they were, they were going to make a kind of a, a Dart specific version of Chrome. So you would have almost like a, you would have both browser, both languages working in the web, and then you would have certain websites that would only work with Dart, and yeah, people didn't really like that. That's so a little rough. Yeah, that was a little rough. But um, so Dart kind of survived almost as like a Google-only language. It was used pretty much more or less exclusively internal as an internal Google language. So it powers uh, Google Ads, and um, there's a lot of really like mission-critical software at Google that. Dart's used for, uh, but outside of Google, not so much. Uh, but it's been slowly evolving and improving. And uh, when Dart 2 came out a couple of years ago, it's now a strictly strongly typed language. So previously, you could go either dynamic type or strong types and to kind of get the JavaScript people on board. And now they drew a line this and say, no, we're strong types only. What is Dart up to now? Uh, Dart is, they just released. 2.7 don't quote me on that 
so they uh, and that has some great new features in in here basically getting ready for the non-nullable types which is going to be coming out in a couple months but uh, uh extensions was the last new feature there's some interesting uh, features that i've never seen in any other language one is um collection if and collection for mm. this one was kind of fascinating where you can actually put control flow inside a collection to decide if you were going to actually put stuff in that collection and it, it makes sense a lot inside the context of flutter so like when you're writing your functional reactive um type uh, build build function so you have a nice uh, let's say you have a column of widgets that you want to build and some may you may need some you may not and you can just put a little if statement right inside the list to say, do I want to include this widget or not? And at build time, Flutter will say, okay, well, is this if statement passed? And it will create one single, uh, one single list as opposed to having to put your logic kind of outside of the, uh, of the, the Flutter code. And it makes it look a lot more, a lot easier to read. And that was kind of interesting to actually have business logic in your collections. I've never seen that before. <laughs> now, I don't want to spend the, the entire show just of talking course. about Dart, because obviously there's a whole lot more to Flutter. But my uh, one of my last questions is, is Dart now open source, or is that still pretty Dart's much coming out of the heart of Google and nowhere so else? All of the entire stack of Flutter is completely okay. open source. So Dart's open source, Flutter's open source, Skia is open source. Um, you can go down the whole the whole chain and look at it however you want you can fork it you can help fix it which <laughs> we'll definitely appreciate um so there it's they're very uh very open oh, it's probably one of the most open platforms um out there right now which is also kind of interesting because it's also being used as the core for one of the mis- most mysterious um uh, projects at google which is fuchsia which is also kind of like an open secret of who knows how what future is going to end up being at some point. Let's talk about Flutter and how it's in general put together, because the impression I get is that you can use a little bit or you can use more okay. or you can use a lot. <laughs> so you can incrementally um, include Flutter in your existing native apps if you wish. Um, so you can have uh, you basically can create a Flutter view controller in um in your native i'll stick with the ios stuff not to repeat myself for android and that will basically be a window to to all the the flutter code so almost kind of like a um an open gl surface view back in the day um so it's instead of you writing your gl code you mm-hmm. would just delegate it to flutter so you'd spin up a flutter engine and then just just go to town uh that is probably not the most popular way that people use um their use flutter it's mostly kind of uses it's the whole app so you just create a new flutter app and let flutter take control um so if you're starting a greenfield project it's really easy because you don't have to worry about uh creating uh different hooks between the, the newer kind of flutter components and the native components but you can also um use a feature called um uh, message handlers to kind of send kind of json style events down to native code if you ever need to uh, reach into native functionality, like any of the hardware sensors. So if you want to write like a, like I used it to write a beacons plugin, which didn't exist at the time, then you can, you can totally do that. So Flutter doesn't block you off from, from anything. Flutter is kind of a, a paradigm shift from traditional <laughs> native development. Can you 
Can you kind of compare and contrast how you'd go about like building up a view in native iOS and then how you do it in Flutter? Mm. Uh, this one's actually interesting because you can see both um, native uh, iOS and native Android have released two new frameworks that basically look just like Flutter. So that would be Swift UI and uh, Jetpack Compose. So that was kind of, so the paradigm that Flutter is ushering in is almost becoming the standard, which is kind of cool. So instead, uh, so I guess of traditional kind of Cocoa Touch, you would either set up your storyboard or your XIB and you would kind of lay out your views, you would lay down your your auto layout constraints or attempt to lay down your auto layout constraints. Uh, and then you would hook up your IB outlets to be able to write all the code to write out to make this UI functional. And if you needed to turn off, turn on and off your features, you would have to make elements visible or not. Everything kind of the UI was kind of stuck in some ways and it had to always kind of be updated to whatever was going on in your your state. So Flutter flips that a bit and they call this kind of uh, functional reactive uh, programming. And this actually started, I guess, with more of um, the React framework in uh, JavaScript land, where uh, you have a bit of state that represents your app, and then you build your UI in a response to your state. So you'll have, let's say, I have a classical example we start off is with the, the counter app that you get when you generate a new Flutter app, where you have a, um, an integer value, and then that gets turned into... Um, it, Flutter will then call a build function to say, okay, with this state, what UI do you want to build? And you just return a hierarchy of widgets, which are kind of like views, but a little bit more lightweight. Uh, that would then be in response to that state. And if you ever need to change your views, you then just say, you call a set state function, which then updates the state and then recalls the, the build function. So it almost is like... Uh, like in OpenGL, it kind of marks your uh, your screen as dirty, and then we'll come back and redo and recreate and destroy mm -hmm. any widgets that need to be redone. So traditionally, when I'm when I'm building a UI in in native Android or native iOS, I I like define a bunch of views, and then when I want to change anything, I say you know my button dot um, in Android, I'd say like set visibility mm -hmm. view dot visible, or my button dot background color equals red. Whereas with, with Flutter, you kind of are just like declaring the whole thing. Yeah, the button won't then, exist anymore. Yeah, and then re-declaring re a new set of things. It's like an interesting paradigm shift. Is there any specific architecture that works best with Flutter? Or is, is it pretty much whatever seems to solve the problem? Uh, this is one of the community's favorite topics. <laughs> 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 Yay! I'm glad I can come up with those. Yeah, this is constantly uh, being debated, and every month it seems like there is a, uh, a new solution. So I'll say my favorite, um, and then probably sort of play more because of it. Uh, <laughs> so my personal favorite is something called the block pattern, which stands for business logic object components. It's kind of like a sanitized version of Rx. So a little bit strimmed down. So you have a type of class called a block class that basically is the owner of a stream controller. And a stream and just basically can pipe information to your widgets. So instead of having to call set state, you would go uh, you would get access to your block 
and say, okay, block, I have this new thing, get that in the block with, process it, do whatever it needs to do. If it needs to go down to a, um, a network call, that's fine. If it needs to get something from the sensors, that's fine. And then after it's done its work, it would then publish um, an event to any to its stream. And then any widgets that are listening to that stream will then it will then automatically uh, repaint itself. So it kind of uh, decouples that the set state functionality um, down to basically just a list of listening to streams, and that has worked out quite well. Uh, but with uh, with uh, Flutter, and actually with any mobile architecture, it's it's really important to break things down into layers. So you don't want to have business logic in your widgets. Please, please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing of putting business logic in your view controllers. Like, uh, ev- yeah, you, you can, but then oh, it's kind of stuck there. Like, it's better to componentize things as much as possible. Uh, Flutter seems to really um, encourage mm-hmm. the ethos of uh, composition, not inheritance. So you build up your UIs by taking these tiny mm-hmm. little pieces together. And with Flutter, everything's a widget. And like, they really broke things down. Like Even padding is a widget. So instead of padding being a modifier that you would add onto a text widget or a color box or whatever, you would wrap that widget in padding and then padding would then update its children to know how to do it to know that so if you keep with that uh um that philosophy of keep each individual widget small but then compose them to create something complex you'll actually be uh, much happier so i don't think i've actually created a subclass in a couple months <laughs> really. <laughs> wonderful so i really do see the similarity between that and swift ui um, and some of what we've talked about in Jetpack Compose as well. Mm-hmm. That was actually the thing I remember when seeing the announcement for SwiftUI. I'm like, oh, this is just Flutter. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the, um, on the Jetpack Compose side, I think it's even more stark because you have naming conventions that are just like Flutter, and they're even... Remember in the early days of um, Jetpack Compose, you'd have comments that were like, just like the flutter, like the code in like a column in flutter, the exact same comment structure, just kind of tweaked to say, you know, to reference Kotlin files instead. <laughs> I think that some of that has changed, but there was like clearly really strong influence from flutter to Jetpack compose. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think it's quite uh, inspiring that uh, all of these three frameworks, I guess four, if I throw react into the, into the pile are really, uh, they're kind of found, I guess, very similar solutions to the same problem. And everyone seems to be thinking this functional reactive style is the way to go for the future. And maybe our more MVC style of development is going to go away. And then we get to be like the old men on the porch saying, ah, kids these days, they don't know they're MVC. (laughs) Hang on here a second. Let's not talk about the old men. Remember, I count my age in hex to make me feel younger. (laughs) That's a good trick. I like that. This is not the first multi-platform solution. No. There have been a few others in the past. Maybe one or a thousand. (laughs) What is it about Flutter that really has the community thinking that this one's going to have legs? Hmm. 
Okay, here we go. <laughs> so I'll give you a bit of history to answer this one. So the first multi-platform solution that I really used was actually a game engine called Unity, which okay. you probably have heard of. Uh, and this was before I even started to do native apps. Uh, so Unity was wonderful because previously we'd have to write our game for every single platform. And you would have to write it even before iOS and Android existed to write for PlayStation, for Xbox, for um, Nintendo, Wii. It just, it was hard enough to do it once. Uh, doing it three times seemed like exhausting, even for a, uh, for a small little like uh, indie company, which is what I used to use work for. So when Unity came out, it was like, this is fantastic. We can now just make our game once and we can put it everywhere. So I loved Unity back then. And then when moving into native apps, you kind of had, okay, well, now I'm back to where I used to be, where I have to write the same app multiple times. And I found what tend to happen is, well, companies just focused on one platform, usually iOS, and the other ones tended to fall behind or get neglected. And there were some solutions that tried to come up. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of uh, Apache Cordova or mm -hmm. PhoneGap, um, which I... We'll try to not mention too much, but uh, so that <laughs> was an idea of why don't we just use the web? And basically, a web, an app is just a giant web view, and we'll pretend that it's a native app, and we'll try to make a facsimile of. So it's all very similar to what Flutter is doing, uh, but because it all lived in this kind of JIT JavaScript environment, you were still kind of beholden to how the web engine was implemented. And UI web view, um, how do I say this politely? It's not good. Uh, <laughs> That's polite. Yeah. <laughs> well, to the point punches. that it's been deprecated and removed, actually, at this point. <laughs> uh, well, and so you would have all of these kind of apps that are basically really handicapped from native apps. So the, the difference between hybrid apps and native apps a couple of years ago was really quite profound. Um, Facebook was one of the most famous examples where they tried to do basically a PhoneGap Cordova app for the main Facebook app a couple of years ago. And uh, Zuckerberg has come out and said that was one of the biggest mistakes um, as his company. So hybrid development has been a punching bag for a very, very long time. Um, I used to be on that bandwagon of going, ugh, just this hybrid stuff because not my beautiful bespoke Objective-C. <laughs> Uh, Very few people who say beautiful, bespoke Objective-C. That's going to be our quote for this episode. <laughs> I miss Objective-C. It was a, a nice little scrappy language. but uh, Scrappy is a really good adjective for Objective-C. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and uh, so you had a couple other attempts at uh, doing the hybrid. So uh, React Native was a, a good attempt where... They figured, well, the web view part probably wasn't that great. Is there a way that we can control the native components with JavaScript? Because each of them have um, a JavaScript engine, so they can. you still kind of are getting that native experience, and you're kind of getting the hybrid experience. And that kind, and I, was, I was rooting for React Native. I wanted it to be good, and every time I tried to use it, I just couldn't get this, the bloody thing to debug, and it would always explode <laughs> on me, and... It, it felt like, okay, so every time I'm going to be using React Native, I'm going to be spending twice as much time in the development experience, so I could probably just write two native apps in, in that time. Um, and 
finally, when Flutter was announced, I was highly skeptical, uh, was expect, was not expecting much of it. Uh, but then, um, Ray Wenderlich published a really cool article about Flutter and like, okay, well, if we're publishing articles on Ray Wenderlich about Flutter, maybe it's worth taking a look at, uh, tried it. Nice call it. <laughs> yeah. And it turned out to be a really great experience, like going from working in Xcode to working in IntelliJ was, didn't feel like any drop at all, where usually you, when you're going from working in, um, let's say working from Swift to going to React Native, you're like, okay, well now where am I, now where's my code complete? Where's all my type? Why is this uh, red screen all over the place? What's going on here? Where with Flutter, I could just pick up exactly where I left off and did not feel like there was any kind of handicap moving from native to, to Flutter, which was a first. So they spent a lot of time making the development environment just kind of top quality. And after that, it was basically just sold. And then you had hot reload and async await. So even going, so if I ever have to write Swift code anymore, I really miss async await and get back into callback hell, which is no fun. <laughs> now, Alex has been ruminating mm. uh, in his spare time about how communication is becoming more important for engineers, and you have a couple of things that you wanted to say about this. Yeah, I do. It's something that I've been thinking about over the past... Um, Honestly, a few years of my career, and it's become even more critical in the past couple months as everyone goes super remote. And it's just how critical communication is for for a good engineering team. Um, I think that the the farther in my career I go, the more I've started to sort of de-emphasize the actual technical abilities and focus in more on somebody's ability to like communicate their thoughts, communicate what they see as working well or not working well or or what problems they see and so forth and just how like critical that is. And I think I think it's been on the top of my or you know on the tip of my tongue lately because as we all go remote, I personally find it a fair bit harder to to really get the the get the good communication going. Be good at communicating. Um, and I think that as we, since everyone's remote and you don't get that sort of face-to-face -face contact, well, you get zoom face-to-face -face contact, but you don't, you don't get to see somebody in the flesh. Um, if you're lucky enough to have it, your conference be face-to-face, -face, a lot of conferences now are, are audio only. Yeah. And, and that's, that like falls into the bucket, um, for me for communication, just so important to be able to see somebody's face. But I've found lately that. Uh, well, lately being the last few years, that uh, most of the problems I've run into on an engineering team, whether it's um, uh, deadlines that were maybe miscommunicated or features that weren't implemented how um, how people had hoped, were primarily um, were situations where poor communication was primarily at fault rather than um, some technical ball being dropped or or people just not coding fast enough. And even, even more so than that, I've found that the, the best environments I've been in and the ones where I've really felt like I can flourish are the ones where communication is on point. And that's people being um, really explaining their positions and their thoughts really well, 
making sure and taking the time to make sure that other people understand what they're saying and really taking the time to make sure that they understand what other people are saying. Um, and that whole sort of kit and caboodle. Um, yeah, it's just, I've, I've really been, uh, it's one of my goals as an engineer is, is primarily to kind of increase my communication abilities. At this point, I view that as like, the best thing I can do for any team I'm on is just communicate as clearly and effectively and empathetically as humanly possible. Um, that's my spiel, my communication spiel. I was actually really lucky in one of my positions. Uh, we were doing brown bag uh, lunch talks. And at one point I realized that some of them were not going that well. So I offered to do a brown bag lunch talk on how to give a brown bag lunch talk. <laughs> and it really was... You know, it, it sounds silly and very meta, but it was talking about how to communicate, how to break down your your talk into different sections. Um, you know, the the standard public speaking that most people don't get in in most colleges. So that went relatively well. Yeah, that sounds like a super helpful brown bag session. <laughs> I'll have what to do. Um, have to do one for the R for the RW talks that are coming up. I love it. How to do an RW talk? <laughs> I was thinking even with communication, what's sometimes even really important is making sure that everyone on the team has kind of a sense of ownership as well mm -hmm. over the. It's much easier to communicate with engineers that want to work on this project yeah. and, and are excited about it, and uh, than it is to the people who are just kind of being code monkeys and just like, okay, I'll just do whatever you need. And then I'm going to go home. Uh, and I've seen a lot of teams where the it's structured in a way where the developer is almost at the bottom of the totem pole. And just like, mm -hmm. you just do what we tell you and don't think about it. Don't ask questions. We're the business. We know better. Um, and it's just a great way to demoralize everyone. And when yeah. you're demoralized, you don't care about communicating. And I've tried doing like, these lunch and learns and these code reviews and all these wonderful team building exercises. But if you don't have a team that cares, um, mm -hmm. they're dead before you even begin. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. If you don't and have that sort of ownership, then yeah, just goes down the way head. And it does get harder. The larger the corporation is because mm -hmm. they tend to put the, uh, the developers further and further into what they often call the trenches. Yes. Brian, I really want to thank you for your time for this episode. It was very informative. Um, I honestly felt that I was going to be sitting back through this Flutter talk and just listening to all of the Android <laughs> side of Flutter and, and, and everything. And hearing it so much from an iOS point of view really resonated with me. Well, and for those of you who are playing corporate bingo, resonate is definitely in the fourth column. <laughs> but again, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. It was awesome having you on. Of course, you can find uh, Brian on Twitter at BKFITS. That's B-K-A-Y-F-I-T-Z, if I've spelled that correctly. Or Z for us Canadians. <laughs> My Canadian are showing Z for Canadians. Oh, so, from... oh, so I'm sorry. It's B K A Y F I T Z because Brian is Canadian. Where are you located? I'm in Toronto. Ah, uh, well, not that time. Um, I'm in Pittsburgh, not that far. Yeah. 
Brian is on Twitter at BKFitz. Alex and I are both on Twitter sometimes. Alex at Alex Sullivan 444. And myself at Podcast Drew. That's D-R-U. No Z. Our next RW Talk is going to be coming up right after this episode drops. So if you're listening to it the day it drops, we should tell you that this evening there is a live RW Talk with Marin. He will be talking about everything you never wanted to know about making coffee at home. Our next episode for the RayWenderlich.com podcast is going to release on the 17th of June. Brian Schick is going to be talking about Fastlane. Also coming up this uh, month is the WWDC 2020 Virtual. We will be doing a live cast from that one right after all of the news drops on the 22nd of June. And July 1st will be our next Android episode. We'll have BJ Sharma in here talking about Android app architecture. Of course, for those of you listening on the podcast, we invite you to look for this episode in a little while on YouTube. The video episode will contain information we left on the cutting room floor, not necessarily our mistakes, but just stuff we couldn't fit into a 45-minute show, and a little bit of a more casual after show with the guests, which we'll be starting momentarily. We hope you'll check it out. In the meantime, we head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time. 